Hey, what's up, everybody? It is your friendly neighborhood BJJ podcaster, Rafa Sparza, coming to you with another installment of Grappling Hour. I'm so glad that you guys could join us. We have an excellent show for you. But first, let's talk a little bit about our sponsors. First and foremost, let's give some love to our friends over at DodgyCollective.com. Look at their artwork. Seriously, take a moment, look up Dodgy Collective. That should be plenty of time for you to plug it into whatever computer or phone you've got. And look at those artworks that they've got there. In fact, it's so good, it got me to not use the proper conjugation for those artworks. That sounds like a stupid person talking. That's how good their artwork is. It makes me sound stupider than I really am. Also, give some loves to our friend over at No Gi BJJ Gear. If you go over to them and you put something in your cart, I know, this is going to sound revolutionary, and you use the promotional code GRAPPLINGHOUR15, you get, you guessed it, 15% off of whatever you put in the cart. It's that easy, people. Let's talk about our guest today. Jordan Patrick recently won the 155 division over at the Submissions on the Shore tournament. And here we get to know a little bit more about her, but we talk about her journey, how she celebrated her win afterwards, uh, what took her from the Air Force to coming back to jiu-jitsu. We talk about that and so much more. I cannot wait for you guys to learn more about her. And you know what? I, I actually can't. Let's just go straight to the interview. I have a great guest for us lined up here today. Now, what can I tell you about her? Well, first and foremost, she recently just won the submissions on the shore 155 weight class. And uh, I have to ask her about this savage armbar that she was able to get in overtime because it is a wonderful photo that our good friend Blanca was able to uh, snag. But I'm sure we have more questions. We're going to get to know a little bit more about her, her fitness journey. And I mean, just looking at the bio right over here, I have a lot of questions because I'm always curious. How is it that somebody who starts as a Air Force vet decides, you know what I'm going to do for a next act? I'm going to go into jiu-jitsu and maybe we'll figure out if it was concurrent. Lots to learn. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome to the show for the very first time, Jordan, Patrick. Jordan, how are you doing? Hey, I'm good. How are you doing? What's up, everybody? It is a pleasure to have you. So does jiu-jitsu happen first or does Air Force happen first? The Air Force happened first. I, I um, enrolled right out of high school and um, I was in for a few years and then got out and I wanted to get back into martial arts. So. So you got back into martial arts. Yep. That meant something happened yes. before the Air Force. So what were right. you doing before? Yeah. Um, before I played, I played softball competitively for a long time, but I wasn't going to get, you know, college scholarship good. And um, I came from, you know, my parents didn't have like a college like fund saved up for me. And so like the military was like an economic choice a little bit. Um, but I did grow up doing like Taekwondo, boxing, um, but never found, I had dabbled in a little bit of jujitsu. And I knew I loved it, but while I was in, there was no way to train really like, or the place I was at, um, especially even consistently. So I knew I wanted to get back into it. Um, when I got out, when I have to do the Instagram yeah. stock of people before mm -hmm. we bring them on the show, I saw some amazing photos of you, uh, playing yeah. softball and I thought that was pretty cool. <laughs> what made you love softball? Um, I liked the, that it's team and individual. Um, it's a slower game. It's very technical. It's actually very mental too. I loved it. Um, but then I also realized, um, as you can see, I'm a personal trainer now. I realize I love fitness a lot more than like, like actual sports. 
um, except jujitsu. If that makes any sense. <laughs> That's pretty awesome, though. I, yeah. I'm, I'm always curious. Were there any things that you were doing at softball that ended up translating into martial arts? I think you mentioned, mm -hmm. like, the mental grind of mm -hmm. playing softball. Is that something that mm -hmm. you ended up taking with you as you started to do more martial arts again? Yes. Yes, it's very individual. Um, that kind of the the voice inside of your head um like in softball and in like baseball it's very like when you're up to bat it's on you like yeah you have your team but there's definitely like a um a voice in your head that's always talking to you so i would say like in martial arts it's definitely apparent um as well that's pretty cool you know i yeah. i played baseball for seven years and i can't tell you a thing that that lent me in my later years of doing jujitsu so I now realize I probably should have had a better mental game and I might have been better. Uh, the biggest thing I took away from baseball was I was like, I think my dad realized I was blind when I wasn't hitting the ball anymore. And he's like, yeah, I think you need glasses, kid. So that was uh, that was my big. Oh, takeaway wow. From I can't imagine how hard that'd be. You know what it was? My dad looked around. He's a big stats guy. He didn't even care about baseball, but he looked down and he's like, yeah, son, your batting average is dropping. So I think you're blind. And I was like, what are you talking? Oh, yeah, I can see now. Yeah. Ooh. But anyway, enough about me. I want to ask this about you. So when you went over to the Air Force, how long were you? you yeah. Yes. <laughs> how long were you in the Air Force for? Oh, only two years, actually. Um, believe it or not, I signed up for six years. And it wasn't until after I was in, I was diagnosed with asthma. I realized I had asthma. And they view that at that time, this was in 2009, 2009 through 11. Um, that's like a, a liability to them. So mm -hmm. whenever you're diagnosed, they put you on a medical board process um, and they seem you as too much of a risk to go deploy. And so they actually medically retired me for having asthma, um, which it wasn't really my choice. I could have fought it harder, but I did get a lot of benefits out of it. So I just went with it and I was like, okay, I'll be a civilian and, do my college. Um, cause I, even though I have asthma, um, I'm still fit and I passed all the PT tests, but they just view you as a liability overseas. Like they don't know how it's going to react and the economy was down. So I think they had too many people. So any reason to kind of get people out, they were getting people out. Gotcha. I mean, yeah. jokes on them because you went into doing one of the hardest mm -hmm. sports there is in jujitsu. Yeah. So you obviously have found a way yeah. to work with that asthma and, and right. still be a very competitive athlete. So uh, kudos mm -hmm. to you on that. No, so what, thanks. When, when you found your way back over to jiu-jitsu, what mm -hmm. was it that started to appeal to you, especially if you were only doing a little bit of it uh, before uh, all of that? How did you yeah. find your love for it back again? So um, I was a personal trainer when I got out. I was a new personal trainer. I wanted to finish my college at uh, Texas Tech in Lubbock, Texas. That's actually where I met Albert, the one, um, uh, Tapia. Mm -hmm. So that's where I met him at. It's so funny. And, um, I went to go to Texas tech. I was actually approached in a shopping mall by someone who worked at Pittman's martial arts. So, um, Pittman is a black belt under Carlos Machado and he's in Lubbock. And, um, I went to a school, they introduced me and I think like, I loved actually what hooked me was the self-defense. So I went in, they have like their white belt fundamentals class, but Pittman was very much teaches that Gracie curriculum of the self-defense headlock escapes and chokes and hair pulling and striking. And he would, you know, for me as a brand new white belt, yeah, I dabbled in jujitsu a little bit, but as a brand new white belt, I felt like, you know, I didn't know anything. And he'd put you in this impossible headlock and he's like, all right, I'm going to teach you how to get out of this. And he'd get out of it. And it'd be a technique. 
And at the time as a trainer, I was, um, you know, doing CrossFit and I was personal training, very strong, very fit. Um, so I had that self-defense aspect, but I also knew like, you know, it doesn't matter how strong and fit I am. If I can't get out of a headlock, like if I get my ass kicked in a street fight, you know what I mean? Or, or if I can't defend myself. So that was already a big one. I knew the value of martial arts there. Um, but then also the most humbling aspect was when I was able to spar with people who were, I was in better shape than, or I was younger than, or I was faster than, or I was stronger than. And I got tossed around everywhere and it was so humbling. And it was either, you know, as a new white belt, you're like, um, I either going to quit because my ego can't handle this or I need to keep training. And I wanted to keep training. Um, so that was very big. It was just the pure technique of people was um, so astonishing to me. And that's what really hooked me. Do you have a vivid memory of when you really fell in love with jujitsu? Um, definitely from the first, like the first couple, like week of being in there. Yeah. I, I can't think of anything specific other than like just getting tapped out a lot. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's one of the hardest things is if you can get over that initial hurdle, then mm -hmm. you find yourself as somebody who you're probably going to stick around for a little bit. I got told because of my right. giant head, I was hard to submit by a number of people. <laughs> and somehow um, I was like, oh, I guess that's my thing. Uh, so <laughs> that, that is a stuck with me. <laughs> I had funny. a lot of people who were very good who would tell me they'd be like, I don't know what it is. You're, it's, I think it's just your head. I can't choke you. And I go, Sure. Whatever you say. I don't know anything. So cool. Um, so you met Albert there. So how did you find your way onto the submissions on the shore card they recently put together? I believe Albert just knew of me and he and I were actually in a couple of fight to win uh, cards together. And I think maybe the um, performances there, um, you know, made it look like I could make my way into the bracket, I believe. That's awesome. Had you seen any of the other uh, submissions on the shore? Were you familiar with the event? Yes, I was. I hadn't seen them, but I knew that he had like, kind of just started it, and I thought it was really awesome. It's all women. Um, the fact that he, you know, paying the athletes is so big. It's so important, and um, really grateful for that. But um, that was all in my familiarity with the EBI rules, as well as my first time competing in those rule sets. Really? Okay. Because that's an interesting thing. What did you feel as you went through the EBI rule set for the very first time? Um, you know what? Actually, I really like it. It's one of my favorite rule sets um, because I like fight to win, um, but it still goes to judges if there's no submission. So it should always go back to you as an athlete. Like you need to be able to finish people, but I like the EBI because if there is no submission in um, regular, um, contest, then the overtime still depends on you and not the judges. Um, like it's either fastest escape or who first to sub. So, um, or fastest submission. So I think that the EBI rule set is really fair. It doesn't leave any, it's literally up to you as an athlete. Like it all falls on you. And correct me if I'm wrong, but also they do one more wrinkle, which is they say, if you both are game to get like a takedown at the end for overtime, is that kind of what they do as well? Or did they go strictly just to the EBI overtime format? Um, I think in, there was one that was similar to what you're saying, um, matched on the card, but this went right into the EBI format, the three, two minute overtimes. Cause I 
commentated his first event and he basically gave people the gangster option to try and either get a referee's kind of like takedown kind of rules under wrestling. So uh, instigating that uh-huh. or yeah. if both parties or one party only decided to do it and they both didn't decide to do it uh, or yeah. if they didn't offer that, then it would become a referee's decision. And I just remember there was one woman who opted to be like, you know what? Screw it. I was going to win and I would win the decision, but I want to get the takedown. And I remember being like, this is kind of mm-hmm. cool. So I like the fact that they're wow. experimenting okay. with their rule sets and they give you guys the opportunity to, yeah. to try that new store stuff out. Tell me about your day. Yeah. Walk me through competition. What is competition like for you day of? Um, so number one, I love coffee. I got to get a good man. I like to rest a lot. Um, I don't like to do any like walking around or shopping or like I, I am very much a chill person. Um, I like to stretch. Um, I kind of do similar things. Like I'm kind of a, I love to read and I love to um, watch jujitsu and study. So I'm usually like reading or, or something studying um, up until, but very much resting. And I also try to stay off social media. Um, you know, like I'll post like that morning of or something, but you'll have like, you know, a lot of messages, people, good luck or whatever. And I really, I don't want to spend hours responding to that. So a big thing is kind of staying off of that and just doing my normal studying, my normal chilling, uh, what I would normally do. I like that because it gets you away from uh, social media is like this weird thing that can get you off your mental game. And it's nobody's real Mm -hmm. fault if they say something, but People don't understand, like, mentalness is everything when you are competing. So I love that as a practice, by the way. Um, So you do that. Walk me through your day. How many matches did you have on that day? Uh, Only three. Only three. Okay. We had three matches. Yeah. So if that's the case, tell me about your first match and how that went. Um, So this match... um I wanted to get a takedown. I felt like my opponent was had kind of defensive wrestling. Um, I did have a hard time. She was very good at defending my um, overhook. I wanted an over-under hook so I could set up some takedowns from there. Um, she was defending the overhook pretty well, so all I could get was an underhook. So it did kind of stall me for a second because I actually didn't have any good setups from just a single underhook um, where I was to the side. So that did open a hole in my game. Like I need to have more takedowns from all positions. And if I can't get to what I want, um, she ended up pulling guard and um, I don't think she really pulled into any guard. I was able to knee cut right away and then maintain that dominant position. I I got to mount and then went for kind of a mounted triangle, um, really turned it into an arm bar in a first match. It's pretty sick. Walk me through your second match. Mm -hmm. Um, so the second match, um, I feel like the, she was probably my toughest match. I feel like, um, she had really good defense. Um, I hit a takedown from the over under that I really, it's a takedown. I really love. So off that takedown, I think it went into like a knee shield half or maybe butterfly half. Um, she had really good regarding skills too. So like I knee cut, but I wasn't able to like stay on top the whole entire time she would regard, but I would pass. Um, I think the knee cut was pretty much the only pass I had to use. Um, at the very end, I think it was, I was able to lock on a triangle, not finish it. And so we went into overtime and that was where, um, fastest overtime escape, um, won that one. So I actually didn't submit her at all and not in the overtime as well. So it was, I won by the fastest escapes, um, on that one. So that one went the full 
the, the whole way. So that then was your first time doing EBI overtime right then and there, right? Yes, exactly. Yeah, that was my first time. When they start, like, there's a little bit of pomp and circumstance to, like, positioning you and getting you ready. As a competitor, mm -hmm. does that feel nerve-wracking for that first time? Or do you look around and had you done so many preparation rounds for that that you kind of felt like, okay, I got this? Um. Yes, it felt a little bit like the latter, but not to, but still that kind of oh shit. Because personally, um, I don't want my arm broken, and so like being in a spider web, I like I would rather have to escape choke any choke than like, because I I'm a type of person as a competitor, I I will tap like if it's there, I I will tap like, and I just don't want my arm like where I don't have the opportunity to tap. I guess in an competition, I know because I've let go of submissions early and have had that go against me like so i understand as a competitor like you got to get that arm and or whatever the limb is and, and go for it so i hate the spider web um so that nerve-wracking position of like all right here we go like you're just very alert i would say so nervous <laughs> in that sense you know what i mean well yeah and i think it's very hard to explain to people when your mm -hmm. business is not just jujitsu but also the fitness aspect of it you need your arms. You need your ability to exactly. demonstrate. You need your ability to help other people achieve their fitness dreams right. and goals. So there's yeah. definitely a competitive side of you that wants to play to win. But then there's also like, hey, guys, I got 10 clients on Monday. So if I can't do a curl, <laughs> exactly. life is not great for me. So right. I, I totally understand yeah. that. But yeah. either way, it goes well for you. So it's got to feel a little bit more uh, confidence inducing as you go into your final match. Right. Yeah. So on the final match, um, um, so I had saw that girl compete, obviously I saw her two round, um, her two matches. So I knew that she was going to be kind of, um, a guard puller. Um, so I actually changed up my, my plan. And since I had been a takedown person, I know she probably saw that too. I decided to touch hands with her and sit right away into guard. I think that did throw her off a little bit. Um, I was able to pull her right into my X, um, so like X into the X and sweep her over. Um, and again, she had really great defense, really good at regarding. Um, I was dominant the whole match, but unable to finish. So we went overtime as well. I, I got to ask this before we talk a little bit about that overtime. Mm -hmm. You know, I've, I've seen you compete yeah. and I, I've seen you more in the gi. How many competitions mm -hmm. are you doing comparatively in no gi? Um, not very many, actually. Um, I think my last fight to win was the first no gi in a couple of years. Um, so I, I haven't done Nogi Pans or Nogi Worlds or anything like that, but I do train Nogi a lot. I just competing in it. I hadn't. Um, so, yeah. Yeah. And I, I mean, that's something that I'm sure as a competitor, you know, obviously when you say that you're, you're going from X guard, it's so funny because when I'm rolling with Nogi guys and I'm hitting X guard, mm -hmm. a lot of the times they're surprised because they go, how are you doing this without your gi? And I'm just kind of like, Hey man, I just, <laughs> listen, I got to will this to happen. Like, don't get me wrong. I yep. love my sleeve and collar grip as like backup reinforcers. Mm -hmm. So the fact that you're talking about a game that seems just as apt as playing in the gi to me, uh, shows that you are able to adapt mm -hmm. even without having a ton of competition in that. And I think that's pretty, pretty spectacular though. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, luckily I have really good training partners. I train really consistently. Um, the competing, as you know, it's hard. Like, you know, I have a full-time job, so, and I don't have, like, uh, the sponsorships paying, or, like, I don't live in California, so, like, if I want to compete, I got to travel, I have to pay for it, and I wish I could compete more, too. 
Um, but luckily I have um, amazing training partners and, and I get that in every day. Everyone, you know, we, we go at it, but the gi, the no gi is so different. Like I love the speed. I love the intensity, less stalling. Um, but I do, man, I love, I can't decide which one I love more. I love them both. You know? <laughs> yeah. I mean, I'm the same way. I, I, I like to think mm-hmm. that I have a little bit more of a preference for no gi, but I tell people, I'm like, mm-hmm. if I have an open mat, I got to earn my no gi time. So I got to do 50% and 50% because yeah. I just never want them to fall uh, to the wayside for the other. Now right. talk to me about the actual exactly. overtime. Now you got one overtime under your mm-hmm. belt and you start working on the second mm-hmm. one. Does that change any of the strategy mm-hmm. now that you've gotten some feedback or does that make you just go, all right, now I've had one under my belt. I feel confident in what I'm going to do in uh-huh. finishing here. Yeah. So um, she, this girl put me into spider web, which I hate. So uh, kudos to her. <laughs> she put me in spider web. She was actually way better at holding it than my last opponent. Um, I wanted to do the, you know, push the leg off, get my head over the leg and uh, shoulder walk. And she, I could not get her leg off. So that was pretty tough to actually get out of that. And in fact, she dicks in my arm, um, I think in the second overtime or the third. So that's the one where you probably saw my arm got extended, that oh shit moment. And then last ditch 12 north south escape or 12 six escape. Um, that was actually so close. So, cause she had me an extension. Um, had she have followed my elbow up or turned my, arm another way or kept me from twisting she would have had it um it was the last ditch 12 six escape i was able to come up stacker and pull my arm out um but it was exciting to finish to hit that escape i actually don't like that escape because i tell my people that i teach i said this should be your last ditch effort like i try any other armbar escape before i try that one you know because your arm is extended so um it, and, um it was definitely like a split second decision but it worked. So yeah, it did. It worked. <laughs> I do want to bring this up because our good friend Blanca got this mm-hmm. shot and I think you reposted it, mm-hmm. but I just want to bring it up mm-hmm. because uh, I always hope for the competitors to get badass shots like this whenever they are competing. But mm-hmm. look at that. That's a great finishing shot right there. So this right now is, oh, is yeah, how you end up it. winning in overtime. Correct. Right. That's right. Yes. Man, yes. well, first comp- compliments to Blanca. That was a great uh, picture too. Yeah, how were you she, able to get she that? Some really great shots. Yeah, Blanca is uh, uh, one of our, our good friends. Yes, um, I'm trying to think if I had spun. Let me think here. I think maybe she had went for the stack and I spun under. I haven't looked at the video. I think that's Not what had point. happened. It was one of those like inversions. Um, and actually my arm bar is happens to be my strongest, uh, technique. I'm usually pretty good at staying on the arm and transitioning rolling. Like I know that they're going to either 12, six, they're going to stack. Um, so I usually know that and I can spin under, um, not to say that I'm like expert at it by any means, but I think this was one where I went inverted, like you're to the side of the body. They try to flip out of it, but they flip right into the arm bar. I think is what had happened there. And I knew at that moment is when I had it and I had to go for it. So my hips are off the ground. Um, and you know, and that was the finish. So I was really happy to finish there. I just love the fact that there's a part of you that is like, man, I hate spider web when you're put in it. And maybe that is doing yeah. great part because you yourself are so good at it that you're like, well, I know what I would do if I had it. And clearly we've mm-hmm. seen what happens when you do have it. Right. Yeah. You got to stay on that arm. Absolutely. And unfortunately, so, like you have to, as you know, you have to, uh, you have to go until the ref actually stops it. Not when you see them tapping. 
Um, and it's an, it's an unfortunate part, but that's how competition is. It, listen, I always think of it like this way. They're not going to stop until the ref stops them either. So it is, right. it is a rough thing to do. And, and you know what the nice part is? Mm-hmm. I mean, I always like to talk about the camaraderie of, of competition from what I see, mm-hmm. but did it feel any different to be in an event during a time where we don't have a ton of competitions and especially when people aren't always going out and training as much mm-hmm. as they would like to be? Um, it did. It felt a little bit more like more camaraderie, even between the competitors for sure. Like, cause we are all affected by COVID with the shutdowns and the training. And, and I don't know how it is in California, but it looked like California had a lot stricter roles than us in the Midwest. Um, actually never been more happy to live in the Midwest than seeing like California and New York, what you guys have been going through. Um, but I did, I felt like the, the mood was like, Hey, like we're just happy to be out here. Like, that original reason to compete. You know what I mean? Yeah. I just, I would tell you this. I feel like having gone to an event before COVID was really a thing, because mm-hmm. their first event was February 28th or so. And I was commentating that. And I thought there was a real good camaraderie amongst the ladies who were competing that day. And it felt good to mm-hmm. witness that and to tell their stories and and to be a part of that. And then I know that uh, Albert put on a couple of events that gave people an outlet to go compete. And I've been very happy to see mm-hmm. athletes still get in competition. I just haven't mm-hmm. seen a competition in person uh, in the same way since all of this has happened. So you did this and also mm-hmm. a fight to win. Have those been your, your only com- competitions within COVID? Um, within COVID, yes. Um, okay. In IBJJF, I've, I've applied. Actually, one IBJJF got canceled, I think. And then uh, sometimes the ones in Texas I try to go to, like, I'll get refunded. There wasn't anybody in my bracket at the time. Um, so that is a little annoying. Like, yeah, because it's like your weight class and then your bracket and then the Midwest. I don't know. Um, but yeah, the fight to win, that's been my only COVID this year. Did you feel good getting back out there to compete? Because I know for competitors, it is hard in a hurry and wait business to have even longer mm-hmm. hurry and wait. Yeah. Um, God, in, in some way, like, oh, wait, what was your question? Oh, no. I was just asking. Repeat did the question. It feel Sorry. Repeat the question. Yeah, of course. Did oh, it feel did good it feel to good? just get. Yes. Yes. I had like, a, I guess I had plenty of notice to compete in this too. It's like over a month, I believe, like maybe six weeks or so. Um, so it did feel good to compete that far out. Like a week it is a little bit more nerve wracking. So it did feel good. That's awesome. Well, I, I'm super glad to hear that. I'm curious, though. I know you were mentioning the differences between California and, and you're out in Oklahoma, right? Mm-hmm. Oklahoma, yeah. Okay. How has COVID affected your business? Oh man, it was awful. <laughs> um, so as you know, I'm a personal trainer. So gyms have been uh, vilified for being germs. Um, so, you know, that mandate happened March and we had to close our gym the next day. And um, immediately, I mean, luckily I, I'm lucky because my gym did do, do some, um, I guess, severance pays for us, um, me and a couple other trainers. So we were doing online things with our members and things. Um, I had some clients I was able to train out of my garage, 
Um, and I did get some unemployment, which I would hate accepting under normal circumstances, but they kind of put us in this position. So I had no problem accepting that. So I was actually to make it through COVID, um, like professionally, it was, um, financially it was fine. Um, jujitsu wise had no, like I only had one partner and, um, no gyms to go to and, you know, like BJJ fanatics, those type of things. So didn't have your sparring at all. So, um, but luckily my business held up. I think actually the hardest part was when we reopened the gym and had to bring all my clients back to the gym that I work for. Um, that was where it was like, whoa, cause not everybody is going to come back like that. Um, so it took me actually three months to probably build back to pre COVID levels, I would say. Um, so how was it over there in California? Well, let's see. There's two answers. The first answer is who's training? Nobody's training in California. Uh, But the more realistic answer is, um, you know, I I think people are now at a point where they're just trying to get in their fitness where they can. And, you know, I I did as much as I thought I could to help. And at a certain point, I had to realize, you know what, it's going to be more harmful to me to not do anything And I had to find my way. So my ways to compromise were there was a guy who was getting COVID tested every week who was teaching striking. And I went to him and I said, you know what? Time to learn a new skill. Uh, My lower back has always sucked. So I have a friend who does strength and and conditioning. And I said, I hate weights. I hate them. That's why I do jujitsu. But I don't hate you. So I went to him and I said, if you could help me come up with a plan that will take some of the problems off of my lower back and strengthen other parts of my body. I think that is a good investment mm-hmm. in my time. So that way when I'm back to full time mm-hmm. with jujitsu, I am not going to just uh, collapse because I'm super weak awesome. and tired. Right. So I've, I've done that. And I, I'm so happy to hear that you are at a place that feels back to where you were before COVID. How have you gone about reassuring people like, who might still be like trying to get their foot in. Cause I think you mentioned a little bit of it was the vilification mm-hmm. of gyms, but I know that there's an yeah. interpersonal connection that you as a trainer have to have. So how were you able to kind of be like, mm-hmm. Hey, listen, I'm going to go the extra mile to make sure you're good. Yeah. Um, well, luckily the gym that I work for is exceptional. They have a whole cleaning staff, um, it's not a corporate gym, but if you walk in, it would have kind of have a corporate feel as far as the cleanliness and how big it is. Um, so we have had to wear, I have to wear a mask all day, um, but my clients don't. And I think that was a big one because people don't want to work out in masks. Um, the gym is big enough where people can social distance. And I think a lot of my clients really understand that, you know, they got to build their immune system. And as a trainer, programming and exercise selection is 50% of my job and the other 50% of my job is I hold people accountable. And that's really why people, when people attach money to buying a training session and they know that if they just don't show up, they're going to lose that session. So they literally lose money if they don't show up to a session they bought and scheduled. Um, so I think it's the accountability and they know that now like people that were, I was already training, they understand your immune system and how clean it is there. So, um, and also me just sticking with it as well. I mean, um, a lot of trainers quit. A lot of people have switched career fields because of this. Um, so it's just kind of adapt or die kind of mentality type of thing. Um, and I've only, it's very few, but some clients have like canceled their gym membership and left altogether because they have an elderly person they take care of. And those are certain situations. And you just have to say, I understand like their situation is different. 
So luckily my gym that I work for is really clean and we picked a lot of us just picked right back up. I was like, let's just keep going. What This is our fitness, you know, it's our health. Yeah. And I'm so glad you say that because, uh, you know, I, as a comedian, a lot of my jokes are my accountability. So I talk to trash to a number of my, my friends so that they will keep me accountable to come train with them. So when I like message them on Instagram and I'll be like, your half guard is trash. What I'm really saying to them is (laughs) I really want a good training session next go around because I'm about to eat this donut and I don't feel like I should just eat it without having my own personal accountability. I've also jokingly uh, have fired my, uh, my strength and conditioning guy, whenever he has a really good day, he puts me through and I feel it the next day. I go, you're fired, dude. Mm-hmm. Like every time I send him the follow-up text, I go, you're fired. I hurt too much. Yeah. Uh, he loves getting those texts, but yeah. I'm so curious now. So that has been kind of your progression over to this. And obviously, you know, it's kind of nice to get those, those competitions under your belt. Are you looking to compete more? And if so, where are you looking to compete? Because it is hard to get good competition right now. And especially if they're canceling in your weight class at IBJJF, which has to be heartbreaking. Um, Where are you looking like you want to go next? Um, I want to do more fight to wins. um, And I love like the, this type of format, this tournament format. Um, I'm going to go to trials, ADCC trials next year or whenever the women's is. Um, but I'm a brand new black belt and I just, I want to see where I'm standing right now. Um, and there's a lot of technique that a lot of holes in my game I'm trying to fix right now. Um, so it's really as, as much as I can and, um, in California as well. I want to go back to plugging that in a second, but I'm curious because Mm -hmm. of your, um, strength and conditioning and, and your fitness, Mm -hmm. uh, acumen, what do you think is the Mm -hmm. best thing that you learned about, your fitness and your strength and conditioning that you think that maybe some other competitors or jujitsu people might be missing within how they integrate it in their plans. Yeah. Um, I'm somebody that, um, I've been an athlete like my whole life. Um, I'm a naturally strong person and I'm not a naturally flexible person. So, um, strength and fitness, I obviously work hard for, but, um, my flexibility is something I've really had to like, that's a weak point and I've had get better. Um, and as somebody who was like a prior CrossFitter, um, very humbled by jujitsu, like, you know, I realized too, like the side, the strength and your speed are certainly a factor, but I could really point that down to like 10 to 15% of it. And the majority, as you know, is your, your technique and then your mindset. Um, so I would say like, and what I tell my students too, or people that I teach, um, I teach a women's class and a self-defense class every week. Um, it's not about being stronger than your opponent. It's about being strong enough to control your own body. So being strong is like, if I have good core control and I can, I can hold myself in a handstand or I can hold a plank. Um, my lower core is strong where I can pike my hips up. No problem. I can keep my feet in the air for several minutes. That's not anything being stronger than my opponent. That's just being strong so I can move and adapt myself. And the better I can move myself, the better I can move my opponent. And, um, and as you know, like size and strength are certainly a factor. Like if, if you and I are the same technique and I'm stronger and fitter, then I'm going to smash you. Um, but if you are more technical than I am strong and you're more and your technique is better, you're going to win if your mindset's right. Um, so it, as somebody who is, um, fit and strong, like it's usually never the issue, um, that I was like gassed and quit or the person just completely overpowered me. 
Um, and if they did, I would be like, well, my technique needs to be better. <laughs> so, um, I always use the size and strength or the, not the size, but like the strength and conditioning certainly complements your jujitsu because you have better control of you, which means you can apply the techniques more smoothly. Um, and you can move around your opponent the way you need to. I think that's wonderfully said. That's a, a very important part that I think that people get caught up on. I, I think it's very akin to saying, you know, a lot of trying to get people to understand it's your journey. You have to make it work for you. And I always tell people, I'm like, sometimes they'll teach me a move and I go, I can't do it like that. But if I understand the core of how to work around it, I think I can take the principles and make the best of it for my dumb body and uh, working around what I would consider limitations. So uh, I I 100% subscribe to that. Um, so yeah, I, I'm I'm very happy that you got this opportunity to to win over. Did you do anything to celebrate or commemorate the win? Yeah, because I I feel like you uh, you won something that was nice. You won a little bit of cash and you got a nice belt. So where does the belt go and what yeah. do you do? Um, I'm actually so when we celebrated, um, my girlfriend is the one that came down there with me. She actually coached me. And she's a white belt. She's been training for a year, but we trained together so much. It's her first time coaching me. And um, I have to get my props off to her because even as a white belt, she was like, I can't coach you. What are you talking about? I was like, I need a coach. I know it sounds stupid, but um, it's not about she's showing me how to do something I don't know. It's just that she's going to see openings for something I can't see. And she might see something so basic and fundamental like, hey, keep your hips down. Uh, Push the knee. Like That's really all the reminders that I need um you know that mentality and she actually did there's a couple of things and i listened to her like there was just something like you know sprawl your hips like you're in the moment and you're just little tiny fundamentals that they're reminding you of is all you really need your, your coach for um and every now and then you do get stuck and your coach can walk you out of things but that's what just all you need is somebody maybe she sees a darce that wasn't there um and i was able to apply it um and it was her first time in california so when i won it felt so good and i felt really grateful um and not only that but i'm injury free um, you know, and to do that and to not be injured, none of my opponents were injured. Um, that always felt good. So honestly, we love California. I went and tried the beach. Um, I went and ate pizza. I love pizza and sushi, um, the next day. So that was a big one. Um, Hold on. where'd you go for sushi? I, sushi. I need to know. I love sushi as well. We went to, uh, I think I'm pronouncing it right. La Jolla, California. So, um, and that seemed like a pretty wealthy, um, town to me, like we could just tell by like the beach and the houses and we found a sushi restaurant there and it was so fresh. Um, and then as far as the belt go, the belt is really nice. Um, I have it in my room. Um, but I'm not gonna lie. I'm not much of a trophy metal person. I'm not much of a materialistic person. So I'm not the type of person to like ever really display medals or belts or anything. I think if I owned an Academy one day, I would do that. Um, but I just, I'm not big on the, the material part. I love the memory. I love the pictures, um, the sense of accomplishment. Um, so I'm not much of a person that's going to like wear medals or wear belts or display them around. Um, but like I said, if I had an Academy, I probably would, but that'd be about it. Yeah. I, I just told another guest this recently, but I used to compete in speech and debate and, uh, between that and my like years of playing sports, I had all these trophies Mm -hmm. And my parents kept them. Mm-hmm. And I was always like, I just don't care. You know, like that's, that's not why I do yeah. this. And yeah. then one day I was talking with somebody and they looked at me and they're like, why do you have these? I was like, well, my parents have them. And they just told me, they go, why don't you get rid of it? And I was like, I don't know. I just, I don't know. And they go, aren't you past that? And I was like, oh, and they go, if you keep <laughs> it, you're going to stay where you are. 
if you get rid of it, you're looking to the next uh, thing. And I was like, oh, that's a pretty good perspective. So that like yeah. next day I'm cleaning out my room and my parents yeah. were like, what are you doing? And yeah. I was like, I'm done. I, I did these things. I know I did it. Yeah, you're like, I'm good. <laughs> I was like, don't get me wrong. Right. I'm keeping the yeah. national titles, but I'm getting rid of right. everything yeah. else that was like qualifiers or this, like I'm good. Right. And uh, I got to tell you that. Feel. And some people really. Oh, go ahead. I was, no, I interrupted you. Go ahead. Oh, no, I was just saying, I go, you know what it was? It freed me of having to always either compare myself to something I did in the past. It freed me of any kind of, hey, listen, you know, always think you have to get a trophy. It just made me say, like, you're always going to look to that next thing. And I think that's part of the perspective that helps you grow and say, like, okay, I mean, who was I keeping that for? Mm-hmm. My parents? <laughs> they don't care now. Right. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. The national ones are important, but I think some people have that attachment to the materialistic represent something, um, which is true. And of course, a big world title is something I would, I would keep. Um, but yeah, I feel the same way. I don't, I've never really been a trophy displayer. Like I'm just like, <laughs> <laughs> I've, I've always famously told people, I'm like, I would prefer no one knows I'm good at anything because you know what? <laughs> It's kind yeah. of nice that sometimes in a world where everybody knows everything about you, you have something that you are quietly mm-hmm. good at. So um, that has always been uh, something right. that I'm, I'm, I'm very much into. Let me ask this, though. So we asked about you mm-hmm. wanting to compete. We asked about you wanting to go there. I just want to take a moment to tell some people maybe why they should go ahead and put you on. Mm-hmm. Do you mind if I do that? Yeah. Okay. Or No, I don't mind. Sorry. <laughs> oh. <laughs> Perfectly fine. <laughs> So, ladies and gents, if you have the opportunity to put Jordan Patrick on one of your next events, here's why I suggest you do it. Not only does she win at submissions on the shore at 155, but it seems like she's running out of competitors. They're literally running out of her division at IBJJF, and she wants to compete right now. If you have the opportunity, put her on one of your cards. And I'm not just talking one or two cards. I'm talking about somebody who wants to be featured at a number of different places she wants to come and travel a little bit and if you've got good sushi i think that's another reason to bring her and also i'm not saying it's just fact now uh her girlfriend is now three and oh as a coach and i think that's perfect record so it's kind of like a two for one sort of deal so if you get the opportunity bring one jordan patrick on to your competition card is that pretty good thank you yes thank you (laughs) No problem. So Jordan, I want to do this. We're going to go ahead and circle around. We'll put a bookmark here in our, our getting to know each other, but I would love it if you take a moment to thank anybody you want to thank who helped you win that competition, who helped you get ready for it. And of course you can shout out your sponsors and or your team. You have the floor. Yes. All right. Um, first and foremost, for, for, uh, first and foremost, um, all of my competitor, or my training partners at Triton Fights, Center Brothers Jiu-Jitsu, Bounce Bodies, and Omar French. Those are all um, affiliates within the Tulsa area. Um, my all, every training partner, white belt, black belt, brown belt, um, they're all important. Um, Gaidama, my, um, I'm an ambassador of them. They have the best no-gi spats um, for women's apparel, and they're also local, but she is really branching out with her brand. Um, and then not only that, but just even considering me to, to put on submissions on the shore, the opportunity to win and get paid, um, it feels really good. And, and thank you for um, having me on your podcast. Absolutely. You did all the hard work. I just want to make sure you get recognized for doing it because I would normally be there covering it or announcing or doing something. But to me, I think this is one of the hardest sports in the world. 
And it always makes me a little pained whenever I see nobody come over and rush to interview you who do all the work. So I just wanted to make sure we commemorate it. A, a baller win with a, a great conversation. So Jordan, my thanks to you. I cannot tell you how much I appreciate your time. I'm going to say hi to you again off of air, but uh, I want to take a moment to go ahead and okay. close the show. But my thanks, everybody go follow at Jordan Patrick fitness on Instagram. You can also find her on the Facebook, but uh, congratulations again on your submissions on the floor win. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for tuning in to another installment of Grappling Hour. It has been a fantastic time to chat, catch up with you. I hope you really liked it. Go follow Jordan Patrick Fitness. She's awesome. I truly believe we will uh, see more from her, and we better be. I mean, she's she's savage, and it's great to hear her story and get to uh, know her a little bit better. If you could do us a solid, go to at Grappling Hour. Give us a follow on all major social media platforms. And if you would be so kind, give us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. It really would mean the world to us. And while you're at it, we're on Spotify. So you can go ahead and follow us there too. We're trying to catch up on all these episodes that we have done. It is a monumental task, but we definitely want you guys to hear so many of these interviews that we've done that we so dearly love with so many of the great athletes that we know. Anyway, that's going to do it for us. My name's Rafa Sparza. It's been a great day for grappling. We'll see you back on the mats. Eventually.